Please turn with me in your Bible to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, we'll be reading the first 11 verses. But before we do, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Father, we thank you for this precious gift of your will for our lives. So Lord, as we read and and hear and heed uh, your word, we pray that you would bless us by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 2, chapter 1, verse, or excuse me, Philippians 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, every, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Dear people of God, called to be saints, as I was discussing the sermon a little bit this morning with a couple of you, a story came to mind that also fits what I intend to preach tonight. And um, several years ago, I was in a school setting, and there was another speaker speaking, and um, he was encouraging a group of middle school students to live their lives in such a way that if it was being recorded and put on YouTube, everybody would want to watch their channel. And as I sat with some of my uh, middle school students listening to this, I watched their faces drop, imagining the pressure that they were being put under to exalt themselves so that other people would see Jesus. That was the message. You need to be big and loud and obvious for God. And these middle school students were just incredibly overwhelmed by that thought. And so one of them came to me on Sunday after and just said, what do I do with this? And I said, is that really what God has called you to do? Is that what he has called any of us to do? What was John the Baptist's um, claim? What was, what was his uh, answer to, to those who asked him about his ministry getting bigger? Well, in John 3, he said, he being Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that's a motto to live by, decreasing, becoming nothing in order that Christ might be exalted. 
And so as we come to this passage in Philippians, we are coming to a portion of this letter that Paul is writing to a church that he dearly loves. The Philippians, uh, as you remember in Acts, uh, were a church that the Holy Spirit told Paul to go to. And when he went, of course, he proclaimed the gospel and Lydia and her whole household believed. The jailer and his household believed. And that particular congregation grew and flourished and became one of Paul's absolute favorites. He was not able to return to them, but he wrote them this letter encouraging them with some of the challenges that they were facing and ultimately calling them to a radical Christianity of putting others before themselves, being like Christ in that way. And so what we see in this uh, portion of Scripture is Paul calling our attention to the attitude of Christ to motivate us by the gospel. We are called to have a Christ-like attitude toward one another. We're, we're not merely to enjoy the blessings of the gospel, but we're to share in those blessings. So let's consider tonight together the mind of Christ under three main headings. And the first one uh, is enabled by Christ. We're enabled by Christ and that comes from verse 5. And the second is we are encouraged by Christ. And that comes from the first four verses. And then third, we are, uh, it is exemplified by Christ in verses 6 to 11. And so we're going to see the mind of Christ, uh, the attitude of Christ, as the NIV says. So first of all, then, this, this concept of enabled by Christ. If you notice in verse 5, Paul gives a command have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, have this mind among yourselves. And so the NIV, of course, says this atti your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, but it's this command, have a mind that is like Christ. Now, we know that the Bible teaches that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, and, and we are unable to do anything at all to save ourselves. And, and so just as a dead person cannot come alive, so a spiritually dead person cannot become spiritually alive without a supernatural work. And so the good news of the gospel is that while we were dead in our sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in verse 5 of our passage, we see this as a command based upon Christ's redeeming work and the power of his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is our paraclete, our helper, our counselor, and he gives us the power to see our sinful condition and the need to seek holiness. Now, if you notice just prior to our passage, if you have your Bibles open, we see another example of Paul referring to God's electing love. And what we're doing in this first point is building a foundation in our, in our justification. So if you look at verse 29, Paul tells them, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should believe in him. So you were chosen, you were given faith, and this is then the gift of salvation, right? It was granted to you. It is yours. But that's not all that Paul tells them there. What's the other gift? Notice what he says. 
the gift of suffering. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should also suffer for his sake. And so Paul talks about his own suffering in chapter 1 and encourages the congregation at Philippi to remain faithful to God amidst the threat of persecution for their faith. They're a tiny little church in a very uh, unholy place. And it's important that we never forget, even now, that suffering is a part of the Christian life. We don't like it. Uh, We don't look for it. We don't choose it. But we know that it happens. Suffering is inevitable in the Christian life. What Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So often in the Christian life, this becomes uh, such an important verse for so many of us uh, who end up dealing with suffering in great ways. Uh, Suffering can come in so many different ways. I know some people have it with health. Some people have it with um, uh, just losing loved ones one after the other. Some have family strife and other types of strife. And and so it's very challenging and difficult whenever we uh, come to a place where uh, we experience suffering. And we're reminded that um, we're not being exalted yet. We're not here to, to show ourselves off. We're here to die to ourselves. We're here to become nothing that Christ might be exalted. And, and so all our suffering is designed by God to bring us to that point that we might make Christ look great as we suffer. And so Paul is preparing um, these Philippian Christians for understanding. You're so blessed that you've been saved. You're also so blessed that you suffer just like Christ did. To wrap our minds around that requires a lot of maturity and a lot of uh, confidence and trust in God's providence. And so we see next here that there's this enabling by Christ for a reason, for a purpose. So what is this attitude or mind of Christ Jesus? And Paul here puts our attention to the inner person, our thoughts, our desires, our ambitions. Proverbs tells us that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What did Jesus say in um, the Sermon on the Mount? He says that it isn't what goes into the mouth that makes a man unclean, but what comes out of his mouth. Because what comes out of the mouth flows from what? From where? Our hearts. And so Jesus is concerned about our heart, and his ministry on earth spoke to the heart. It's the inner part of our our being that must change in order for the outer behavior to change. And we know this to be true with parenting children. Children, um, how many of you, uh, I don't want to ask it this way, anybody have a fight today? My kids are in Visalia. I imagine they did. Probably five of them because there's five kids and they all take a turn being the stinker every day. Right? But these types of things uh, come up. Right, There's plenty of ways uh, for parents to uh, try to govern these situations. We uh, try different t- tactics. Sometimes they're um, more behavioral modification than actually reaching the heart. But we get to the, the desired effect of peace uh, after a little while. Uh, but of course, we all know that if we don't reach the heart, um, 
then we will see no lasting change, right? It's true of raising our children. It's true of God sanctifying us. Our hearts continue to need to be sanctified so that what comes out of us is genuine, not fabricated. And so in Philippians 2, Paul is not calling us just to change our behavior. He's calling us to consider our hearts and to do that as we suffer. Now, Paul also tells us, secondly, that a believer's mindset is to be encouraged by Christ. So we have this foundation of our, of our uh, justification, right? And that suffering is part of the calling to, be, to, to faith. We have faith as a gift. We have suffering as a gift. And now we see these first four verses. Uh, Paul is showing us how to be encouraged by Christ through the blessings of grace. So if you notice verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. We noted already that salvation is a gift, and here Paul highlights some of the wonderful blessings of that grace. One of those is union with Christ. Union with Christ. Believers are united to Jesus in a very special way. He dwells in us by his Holy Spirit, and we dwell in him. Jesus is the head of the body, which means we are the members of that body. And so that union in Christ not only draws us to Christ, but draws all of us together as one. Very important. Union with Christ means we share his very identity. Because God accepts Jesus, God also accepts us. Union with Christ means that we are God's children forever. And so it's no wonder that Paul also mentions a second blessing of grace. And if you notice in verse, uh, the next verse here, comfort from his love. Comfort from his love. Now, our catechism, as we just recited, offers that wonderful commentary on comfort. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Comfort from his love. What Paul is asking here is for God's people to think about the times that they have been comforted by God's love. And I I ask, how does God comfort you by his love? Well, on my drive here last night, um, the road was fairly clear, and I just spent 45 minutes confessing every possible sin that I could think of that I hadn't confessed last week. It took me 45 minutes. And I, I just was so in, um, blessed by uh, getting that off my, my mind into the Lord's hands saying, Lord, you, you paid for this with Jesus' blood. And so I give it to you. I, I can't carry this. I, I, this is me. This is all my sin. Have it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Restore the joy of my salvation. I haven't been what I'm supposed to be this week. As I'm preparing myself for worship, I I, I confess my sin. And and what happens? (laughs) The comfort of God's love wells within me. It's it's real, right? Because if I hold back my sin, we talked about that and sang that song 
from Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin. I did not hide it. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so that is a sense of when we, we have this, this comfort from God's love. And so what Paul is saying, do you have that? He's asking us to remember those times where it's real for us. And also, number th- the third thing he says is, the third blessing of grace, is there any fellowship with the Spirit or participation in the ESV? A believer is never alone. A believer has fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit as he, he opens up his word to us. The Spirit makes God's words come alive. He, he brings us comfort and he assures us of his love and his care. There's a, a real fellowship with God through the Spirit. We sense it. It's not mystical. It's not a feelings-based thing, it's, but it's, it's real conviction that the Spirit is with me. God promises the Spirit indwells me, and therefore I live by faith, and I operate under, with that truth, and I experience that. And so you and, you and I have that blessing as believers, that assurance. But the last blessing of grace that Paul mentions here is the tenderness and compassion or the affection and sympathy. You see, in sin, our hearts were hard as stone. But when the gift of God's grace came into our lives, our hearts became soft and and tender and full of spiritual life. And more and more, we we love what God loves and we, we hate what he hates. And we develop a softness in our hearts towards one another in the body because we experience God's grace in our lives. We're more eager to confess our sins to each other, to just forgive people. Some people annoy us, some people get on our bad sides, and, but this, this softening of our hearts causes the love of God to, to well up and we just say, I, don't, I just wanna forgive these people um, because I don't wanna hold on to these things, they're petty. It gets in the way of our unity and our joy together. And you know what? I'm probably just as annoying to them, right? We, we have to have an, a bigger picture understanding that we're not everybody's favorite either. So Paul's trying to get at this concept of the body living together in reality, but in the gospel. Now, 1 Corinthians 5.17 summarizes it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But in verse 1, Paul uses that word if, notice, if, and if in the ESV, it's only there one time, but in the NIV 84, it's in there every time, but it's implied in the ESV. It's referring to these blessings. So if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if any fellowship or participation with the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, can you answer any of these? These are the gifts given to every believer. And remember the promise that we have in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if If it's true that you have received faith, then this question of if really isn't if, right? Are you aware of it? That's maybe why there's the if there. But really the reason the if is there is to be taken more like because. Paul is not asking if you've experienced God's nearness. Rather, he's saying because you've experienced 
these blessings of relationship with God, because you have been aware of his love in your life, because you have sensed the joy of belonging to the fellowship of God's people, because you have received wonderful blessing of being part of God's family. We experience these blessings in so many ways together. But when you do, um, when do you think these types of blessings become most obvious? The love that we have for each other. When are they the most noticeable? Um, in my experience as a pastor, it, people seem to be the most aware of the loveliness of, of the body of Christ when they're suffering in some way. Um, when they're in the hospital. Um, I don't know, yeah, I'm sure you remember uh, yours truly, about two years ago, uh, I got COVID and it went into pneumonia and um, I went into the hospital on a Friday and uh, it was severe enough, the doctor said I had a 50-50 chance of surviving. And um, by the grace of God, um, about five days later, I was released and he had never seen anybody released that fast. So I thank you for praying uh, for me. I know many of you did. And uh, the Lord really turned that around. But why I bring that up is this. I experienced for one of the first times in my life absolute desperation. I couldn't move. I could hardly talk. I thought I was going to die. And that was COVID also, right? Working in your brain. Some, some of us really got dark. Um, but the fact that I knew that thousands of, of God's people were praying, I have never felt so at peace. Even amidst being barely able to function um, in my suffering in that moment, I was so comforted uh, by this uh, sense of the Spirit working through the prayers of God's people. And if you've been sick and you had these experiences or your loved ones have, you know exactly what we're talking about. It's so precious. And so we're encouraged by Christ to the blessings of, his, of grace, but we're also encouraged by Christ when we respond to grace. Now, what Paul gives two main ways in, in doing this, and if the first thing you see, um, the first response is unity or oneness. We see that in verse two. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with and of the same mind. And so Paul says that we are to put on the, the, the same love that God shows us in Christ. That's how we become one in spirit and purpose. When everyone in the church reflects the same precious Christ-honoring, God-fearing, self-denying, others-edifying attitude. You know, Jesus prayed in John 17, his high priestly prayer. And he prayed that just as he and the Father are one, that all of his people, all of his children, all the elect would be one. And I think we all know that oneness that Jesus is calling us to, praying that we would become, is impossible this side of heaven. And yet, it's his prayer, and yet this is Paul's encouragement to continue to, to work our way towards that, even amidst suffering even amidst difficulty. 
because our, that is the prayer of Jesus, that is the, the command of Paul. This is God's will that we become one of mind and purpose. It's, like I said, extremely difficult. I have lived long enough, by the way, today is my birthday, so um, 44, I've seen a lot. I've worked in a number of churches um, as a youth worker and as a pastor, and um, yeah, we've seen a lot, my wife and I, and, and so we know what suffering is, and we know how hard this is in terms of understanding uh, what it is that God's will is through the suffering. But yet, this is what Jesus prays. This is what Paul calls us to. And so there's another aspect of it. The, um, the second uh, part of verses one to four, we see a humility or a lowliness, call to a humility or lowliness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count or consider others more significant Uh, better even than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so that word count, in humility, count others uh, better than yourselves, can actually be translated as lead. So it's lead by letting others' interests lead you. It's leading by putting others first. Notice the displays of the gospel here, for, for that is precisely what God did for us in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is what Jesus did. He, he became Lord by suffering on our behalf. He became the God of all glory with a name that is above every name by putting himself beneath us all. He led by thinking of us, and that led him to the cross. And he allowed himself to be nailed to that cross. He allowed himself to, to die. He gave up his spirit for us, right? He, he led us in what was best for us. And so Paul says, have this same mindset, the mind of Christ. The fact that Paul needs to write these words tells us Uh, that his instructions to foster unity arose out of necessity. Now, the Philippian congregation had people who struggled to get along. We know this from chapter 4, a very short chunk of of, of text in chapter chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. He mentions Iodia and Syntyche. And if you're able to turn there, you'll notice that these women had labored for the gospel at Paul's side. They were godly women. They were believers, um, and they, but they were struggling. What's so fascinating is Paul does not get into any detail about the conflict other than he just says, he, he pleads with them to agree, not with each other, but with the Lord. Agree with the Lord. And so the idea here is, is that Christ and the word of God at the center of two people who are in disagreement will find common ground and unity when they come to seeing and understanding God's word. Now, again, children, um, I miss my kids. It's my birthday. They're pretty mad that I said yes to a pulpit supply on my birthday and then didn't take them. Um, so, but, so I'm thinking about them. And you, you, what, what happens with uh, children uh, when they come to me at 13 and 11 having the same fight for the third time um, 
we finally say we're done. We're done. You guys know how to say I'm sorry for whatever it is you did and ask for forgiveness. And because you're both messing around, you both have to apologize. Who's gonna lead? Somebody's gotta take the lead. You don't need our help. Go agree with the Lord and figure this out. Admit your sin, confess it, forgive, and move on. We don't even wanna hear it anymore, right? So maybe um, it, it, sometimes it works, and other times it doesn't. But I'm, I'm using this as a way to illustrate uh, that so often our conflicts um, with our children, they need to learn how to agree in the Lord. They need to go to God together and they need to pray and they need to figure it out. And this is what Paul is saying to these two ladies. Agree in the Lord and you'll be able to move on from whatever it is you're struggling with. Now, we, there's other passages that encourages us in how to care for each other. Um, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And so verse 4 tells us in our passage that our priority is to look to care more for the interests of others. And this can happen when we truly do consider them as better than ourselves. Now, another illustration for the kids um, in sixth grade, I went to a youth camp in Michigan. I'm from Michigan. I don't know if it comes out in the accent. I think it's gone, um, but that's where I'm from. And um, in sixth grade, I went to a camp, and um, Grace Youth Camp, and I watched my friend Kyle um, start caring for all these kids in the cabin. We had some um, kids that were a little younger, and Kyle just sat with them, talked with them, prayed with them. We were sixth graders, you know, pretty, pretty young and by the, at the end of the week, uh, Kyle uh, was given the Joy Award. And I don't know if you've heard of one of these, but it's called Jesus, Others, Yourself. He was recognized by the counselors for uh, uh, being kind and considerate and caring and, and uh, loving towards those around him. And so they honored him, and they, they, and they honored the others who had uh, received those as well. Um, what Paul is doing here is he is... He is asking the church uh, to, to see uh, that serving one another, loving one another, coming to an understanding together um, is only done by putting Christ first, others next, and yourself last. It's so simple, but it's so hard. Uh, I, I still haven't figured it out in every one of my relationships. Um, and so, hence the need to repent on my way to preach here uh, because I needed a clear conscience in order to preach. But these are the types of challenges uh, that we face, and yet God has given to us a remedy to, to make the way where we put uh, the Lord first and others second and ourselves third. So what it, now we want to transition to our, our third point and go into the last section of verses. Because Paul, uh, Paul here is sharing with us that because God has chosen us in Christ, we are called and enabled to demonstrate our gratitude to God by loving others in unity and humility. And so the only way for us to really see this is to see the example of Jesus. So Paul commands us in verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Paul answers with one of the most known portions of the book of Philippians. And each verse here is packed each verse could be its own sermon, but for our intents and purposes, we're, we're going to use it as part of the context. 
um, it's vital to see the connection with the other passages here, what Paul is showing us. We are shown the ultimate and incomparable example of Jesus. And here's a quote from a theologian, just to kind of capture what we're seeing here. Um, when Christ Jesus left the bliss of heaven for the miseries of earth, his purpose was not only to rescue you from your sin and sin's just consequences, though it was that, it was not only to set you an example of humility, though it was that, but it was also to reconfigure the inclinations of your heart so that Christ's mindset, that is his joy in selflessly serving others, would become your mindset. So to be sure, there are ways in which Christ cannot be our example. We cannot copy his redemptive acts. We cannot suffer and die in the place of others because we're sinners. Only Jesus alone was able to satisfy, satisfy God's design, divine justice and bring his people to glory. So in these ways, we cannot exemplify Jesus. However, with God's help, Paul commands us to imitate the spirit found in these acts, to strive toward an attitude of self-denial for the purpose of loving others. And so in that, we see two main things. We see Christ's first is humiliation. So though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He, is, he and the father are one. He was in as high of a position as possible, equal with God, a member of the Trinity. And yet what does he do? He doesn't hold on to this lofty position after he sees sin enter the world. Verse seven says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. From the highest position to the lowliest of lows, Jesus emptied himself, which means that he willingly gave up all his rights as God, thus making himself of no reputation. Jesus said in John six thirty eight, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And of course, God's will was that not one of all those whom he had chosen would be lost. So Jesus was on a mission to save all of the elect. And so you see, he abandoned his rights. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Why did he do this? Because of his great love for you and for me. He did this to, to live a perfect life we, we could not live because of our sin and to pay the penalty for our sin that we might be saved. And then we read in this uh, passage that great moment in redemptive history in verse eight, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as fully as he was fully God and fully man, Jesus humbled himself. And in his humility, Jesus had become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the way Paul speaks here is meant to shock the Philippians. Jesus died on a cross the worst form of punishment. Think of that. He did that for you and he did that for me. He did that to fulfill prophecy. It makes us think about the advice 
given to my poor middle school students who are told to put themselves in a high position. No. We put ourselves in a low position. Paul wants us to see the beauty and the glory of the person and work of our precious Savior from the highest of places in glory as God himself, Jesus willingly, sacrificially, and graciously humbled himself. Paul also draws our attention to the humiliation of Christ, but notice his exaltation. Therefore, Paul writes, because of his self-emptying, because of his obedience, because of his sacrificial death, God has highly exalted him. The word exalted here actually means super exalted. This means that God has given him the place of honor and majesty, seated at the right hand of God's throne. Jesus is given the highest seat of importance next to God the Father. So he came, his work was done at the cross, at the grave, and then God brought him to the place where he is now interceding for us on our behalf. Verse nine says, God bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did not raise himself back up to this high position. God raised him up. So how does this text and this passage relate to us? Well, our attitude of humble, other-centered service should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. So whatever high position we've been given in this world, whatever authority that we have, whether in the church, in the home, in our workplaces, whatever that is, we're to remember to have the mind of Christ, to lead in such a way that we carry the interests of others ahead of ourselves, truly sacrifice, sacrificing ourselves in order to uh, love and care for those around us. I remember years ago when my older brother was getting married, the minister said to him, and all the, the groomsmen were in the room, and he said, Rob, today is the day you die. <laughs> Sweet, <laughs> getting married, and this is the day I die. But what, what Pastor Dave was telling my brother was this, every day will be a self-sacrificing love, just like God, uh, Christ, just like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, so you as a husband will give yourself, your life up for your wife. And this is true, isn't it, husbands? To truly love God and to truly uh, love our wives, we die a little bit every day because we are giving ourselves up. This is, this is the, the, the life of a Christian, it is suffering, it is death, and yet it's glorious because as, as we die to ourselves, we realize we're so much better off being more like Christ. The parts of us that are dying off are not the parts of us we wanna keep. They're the parts of us that need to go. And so the beauty of, of how all of this works together, looking at Christ, seeing his example, following it willfully is that the parts of our character, the parts of our our personality, the parts of us that need to go, the old man, are forced to be shaved off. And we emerge more pure, more holy, more able to be one uh, with one another. These types of, of things are so hard, and yet they're so important. And so, people of God, 
It's our privilege to understand this calling to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, and it's our calling to live it. So may God use us for Christ's sake, and may it, may it be our prayer. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And by doing that, we are following Christ's example. And when we are exalted, may it be that God exalts us, that God lifts us up, that we will give him all the praise and honor and glory for the great things that he does in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this wonderful passage that outlines for us, Lord, the call to uh, oneness, to humility, to following your example. Father, we all fall so short. And yet, Lord, as we go through uh, the challenges of this life, we see uh, all the ways that you are sanctifying and purifying and making unity possible. And Lord, we pray that as we trust you through the difficulties and challenges that we would know, Father, that by being faithful, uh, you, will, you will continue, Lord, to bless us. So give us peace and give us confidence and give us hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.